Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I want to thank the Arizona Sheriff's Association for helping Law Matters bring in today's guest. And I also want to thank Frank Hansen for helping us out yesterday at the last minute. I really appreciate you dropping what you were doing and coming over and helping me. Okay, after I'm going to give you a little introduction about our guest today. After spending over 20 years as a clinical psychologist, a federal law enforcement officer, and serving 13 years as the head of the behavioral analyst unit for the U.S. Marshals Service, Dr. Burke has become recognized as one of the world's leading experts in the field of child exploitation and sexual offending, making him uniquely qualified in this arena. Thank you for coming here. Oh, thank you very much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Okay. I was watching everybody yesterday during the training, and they were taking notes, and it was like day at work for them. And I was sitting in the back listening to everything he had to say, and I thought my head was going to explode. <laughs> So for them, it was seven hours of training. For me, it was shock and awe, and I'm still in recovery. So I want you to explain to the people in general, because I'm, I'm thinking if I'm thinking this way, there's got to be other people out there who are totally oblivious to some of this stuff. So let's talk about the myths of child pornography and the people who are doing this first. Yeah, sure. You know, and that is the sad reality is the, you know, the officers and, and you know, attorneys and other, uh, you know, analysts and other people that were in the room, this is what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. They are immersed in depravity. They are sort of, uh, you know, they, they have to they have to view the, the, the darkest sides of humanity. Um, and and I, I give them so much credit and respect for the fact that they do this work because you know i i think you're right i think the public would be astounded and horrified at what they what their work life their work day looks like every single day when they go into work and what they're exposed to um they're you know it's a really courageous uh you know um part of law enforcement be just you know because they're exposed to evil every single day um, that is a different kind of evil, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're right. I mean, f- physically, law enforcement officers are trained to deal with lots of things. Their 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 safety and 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 the things they encounter um, can be very difficult. But this is this is a psychological threat, you know, in the sense that they're they're exposed to little children or very vulnerable people who are being abused and exploited in horrific ways. And it's very hard for them not to, you know, take that work home. We do a lot of work to try to give them those tools. But, you know, going back to your question about the offenders themselves and the people who do um, do this sort of crime that, that, that go online, um, it's a lot more prevalent than people realize. I think people see these um, news stories and they think, oh, well, these are sort of one-offs. These are, you know, this is an occasional occurrence. 
but it's an increasing problem. Uh, the internet has allowed them to find like-minded individuals that will share images and videos with them, but will also begin to have these chats with them and bring them into what has become almost like a subculture. You know, it's a it's a group where in the past they would have been marginalized. They wouldn't have known anyone else that was interested in these things that they're interested in. But now because of the internet, they can go online and they find a whole group of people that say, hey, you're just like me and we're we're not so bad. We're just misunderstood. And, and kind of normalizing to, yeah, it. Yeah, normalize it. That, that's a great term. They, it normalizes it, and it allows them to begin to justify what they're doing. And, and, it's a, and, and also expand, you know, what used to be maybe um, seeking an image of a child, or and later it became videos, and then now it's chatting with children and arranging even what we call sex abuse by proxy, which is paying somebody on the other side of a live stream to abuse a child as you watch and tell them what to do and then they do that to the child and this is all done for commercial purposes it's a it's a new form of evil that really hasn't existed in the past that is there a difference between a sex offender and a pedophile yeah that's a great question so pedophile uh pedophilia is a psychiatric diagnosis so that is something that you have to meet certain criteria it's technically a sexual attraction to a prepubescent child so uh, the diagnostic and statistical manual which is what we use for our 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 diagnostic standards that that says it's usually a child that's 13 years or younger. So that is the diagn- there's other criterion, uh, criteria as well, but that would be uh, what justifies the diagnosis of pedophilia. But a sex offender is different uh, or could be different. A sex offender is anyone who's committed a sex offense. So a rapist would be a sex offender, um, someone who's uh, abused the elderly, someone who has um, abused someone who's cognitively impaired. Uh, and there are offenders who will commit sexual offenses against children who are not pedophilic. They're what we call opportunistic offenders. Okay. So it's kind of like an easy example here Like would be there's a guy, he goes to the bar, he drinks too much, he goes home, he stumbles into his house or his trailer, and his 15-year-old niece is asleep on the couch. He assaults her, fondles her, and then goes and passes out in his bedroom. He is a sex offender at that moment, if he wasn't before. She is a victim, but that wasn't necessarily motivated by pedophilia. That was motivated by the fact that he's selfish, egocentric, antisocial. He's, he, you know, he takes what he wants when he wants it. He's a jerk and, and he's antisocial. Now he needs to be consequenced for that because obviously she was assaulted, but that wasn't motivated by this sexual interest in children. If she would have been 22, he would have done the same thing. So is there a cure for any of this? Unfortunately, as much as I would like to tell you, particularly since I'm a clinical psychologist, I would like to tell you that we have a cure, that there's some treatment that we have, that there's talk therapy, medication. Not the blue uh, pill. The, right. There's no pill, <laughs> red, blue, or otherwise. Um, no, we don't have a cure for pedophilia or any other sexual disorder um, voyeurism, exhibitionism, we don't have a cure for that. So I I was reading the news this morning and somebody like Jared, um, the subway guy who went to prison for 15 years, 
when he gets out, is he getting treated any kind of treatments in prison? Because he, they're going to let him out one of these days. Yeah, so I'm not ex- I'm I'm not uh, you know familiar with exactly what has been offered to him or others. Um, there are sex offender treatment programs in the prison system. I worked okay. in in one for many years, um, but uh, many offenders go to prison and do not receive treatment. Either you you can't actually force them to receive treatment, so that they have a choice. Uh, they absolutely have a choice. A lot of people think, especially when they see that the judge has made a judicial recommendation for sex offender treatment, people assume that's an order. Uh, judges actually can't order anyone to any kind of treatment. So um, it has to be voluntary. So um, that when they come into prison, they can say, I don't want treatment because I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a problem that I like kids. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets out... Typically, I, I don't. I know this is Arizona, and you go all over the world. But yeah. typically, when somebody like this gets out, do they track them? Do they know what they're doing, or try to know what they're doing? <clears throat> yeah. So, so some offenders are um, have to be on the registry on the on the sex offender registry. Um, others do not, though. So that varies by state. A lot of people think that there's like a, a national registry, mm-hmm. and there is there is a national sex offender registry, but it's actually just a compilation of each state. So every state has their own registry, and it all goes into one big national registry. So they don't share information from state to state. They do through the NSOR, through through that that hub, but not not like what you may think. It's not an automatic. Hey, I have an offender that just moved to Maine, and so they notify. Maine. The offend, that, that's incumbent upon the offender to do that. So if the offender leaves one state and goes to another state, he or she has to call the registry and say, I'm going to go to this other state. Then when they get there, they usually have like, I don't know, 48 hours or three days or something where they have to go to the sheriff or whoever it is and they have to re-register. Now, as you might imagine, some people leave and they don't notify anybody. And then the United States Marshal Service has to go and try to find those people and bring them back to justice. When they register in another state, they can't go on vacation? They can go on vacation. uh, Without registering? So in many states, they would have to notify the registry and tell them that they're leaving. uh, And sometimes they have to get permission. So they're not allowed. Some so it depends on their tier. It depends how dangerous they are. Some people are at the highest tier, and they may not be able. You know, they may not be able to do certain things. Others um, have more freedom, and they can go out of the country even. Um, but when that happens, in those cases, there usually is notice that's given to the country where they're going to. And sometimes, like Thailand, for example, that used to be a sort of a hot spot for traveling sex offenders. So if, uh, if a sex offender gets out of prison and he says, I think I'm going to go to Thailand, we, the United States government would notify the Thai, the, the Royal Thai police. And what would happen right now, I can tell you, is as soon as he gets to Bangkok, he's not going to be allowed out of the gate area. He's going to be told that he's not in, allowed in the country and he's going to have to take the next flight home at his own expense. Um, very expensive, and it irritates many sex offenders because they didn't know that in advance, but they should have That's a long looked flight. into it. It's a long <laughs> flight, and they're not allowed. They're literally not allowed to leave the, that area. They've got to come home. Okay. I, a couple of months ago, I was near a situation that happened where somebody who was being raided because of sex porn or whatever he had on his computer... Mm-hmm. How do people 
recognize somebody like this and and maybe you know you're not watching them do something that's illegal but you have suspicions about this person what do people look for and and how do you protect yourself against <clears throat> this type of environment yeah i mean that's a great question one of my colleagues uh, dr joe sullivan who's an irish uh, forensic psychologist he makes the point um you know his statement one time that i that i've always remembered is these guys don't have horns or speak monster um they're they're literally the men and women next door um and literally you know, yeah i mean they <laughs> they look like us they're our kids teachers or youth serving organization leaders or coaches they they do find ways to enter positions of trust um where they're seen as upstanding members of society so that if an allegation did come out by a child that the child is less likely to be believed um and they're seen as sort of above reproach almost and they love getting into those positions so they'll sometimes gravitate toward our religious institutions they'll become lay clergy or um or they'll you know they'll they'll get other positions of trust um and so we have to i i would say you know there's not a hard and fast rule but i tell people first of all to trust your gut um there is something to those maternal instincts, quote unquote, or paternal instincts. If if something doesn't feel right, if you think someone is too touchy with your child um, unnecessarily, if um, you know if there's just some behaviors that seem to strike you in, in the wrong way, trust that. The second thing is uh, open those lines of communications with your child. It's super important for kids to learn that if something happens and you tell me. I'm not going to be mad. What stops kids is thinking that they were complicit, that they, they asked for it, that they did something wrong. And the offenders will actually tell them that mm-hmm. to to reinforce that, right? Yeah. So that keeps the kids from from telling them. The um, And also, I wouldn't advise parents to say, if somebody touches you in a bad way or if somebody... Um, you know, I I would actually keep it at a very high level. This is me. I'm very conservative because I've been doing this work for a long time. But um, I I would I would tell my children um, if anybody does anything weird, if anybody does anything that just seems odd, odd, yeah, it doesn't have to like don't put it on them to decide what is wrong and what is right and what is weird and like or or, or well weird is okay weird and odd or something that just doesn't make you feel right keep it at a very high level because those kids don't necessarily understand this process of grooming and how this person has done this the other thing i would say is anytime one of the buzzwords that i listen for is the word secret um and so i think parents should tell the children there's a difference between a surprise and a secret so if we're going to surprise mommy on her 30th birthday that's a surprise, and that's defined in a certain way. When someone says to you, I need you to keep a secret, don't tell your mom and dad. Don't tell anyone because I can get in trouble. A secret is something that is, for me, is a very dangerous word. So if anyone asks a child to keep a secret, um, I would say to the parent, that's something to pay attention to. Tell, tell the story. You told the story about a coach, in, in this coach you didn't particularly care mm-hmm. for. Tell the story again. Tell our listeners the story about the coach. Yeah, so there's a there's a uh, a photograph that I w- sometimes put on the screen when I present, and it's a coach. It's a you know maybe a 28 year old man in a soccer um, you know jacket, and he's uh, next to a 
probably an 11-year-old girl. She's in a soccer uniform. And I tell the story about this coach, which is that the father of that little girl went to his wife and he said, I don't like this coach. And and the, the mother said, what, you know, why? That's a little harsh. He seems like a nice guy. And the dad said, well, he is a nice guy. But um, I asked him, what do you do when you're not coaching girls in this county? And he said, oh, I teach girls. I coach girls in the next county over, same age group. And the dad said, well, okay, but like what else do you do when you're not coaching soccer? And the man said, well, I teach Taekwondo to kids over in this other city. And the dad said, okay, that's, that's fine. But like, what, like, what do you do for a day job? Or like, is that your job? Or, or do you have a, you know, do you work eight to five? And, and the man said, no, no, I work eight to five. I'm a Montessori school teacher. And as they talked, the, the dad just was getting this weird sense that this is a 28 year old guy. He, he doesn't have a partner, which is fine. He's single, but he also doesn't spend any time with other adults, men or women. He doesn't go bowling with the guys or playing poker or hiking or whatever. Like there was no activities. His entire life was around kids in a particular age group. And he went to his wife and he said, I think it's a problem. And the the follow-up of that story is that three weeks after that picture was taken, the man was arrested for aggravated assault on a child. And I sometimes have a social worker or someone raise their hand and say, well, you shouldn't show the victim's face uh, because the girl's face is, is clearly visible. And I respond, I said, that's not the victim. That girl is my daughter. And that man was my daughter's coach. And, and I was that man. Uh, and so my wife thought I was, you know, being a bit of a nut because of my background. Helicopter but, parent. Yeah, helicoptering <laughs> and just, you know, sort of being paranoid. And, and you know, and I think a little bit of paranoid is, is okay in society when it comes to this thing. When when it comes to children, you know, and again, someone can, we can, someone can call in and say I'm too biased or too paranoid, but I think trusting your gut and if something just doesn't seem right, why would this single man? And I, I, I pick on men too because a lot of but these you guys knew are the men. questions to ask. I did, yeah. I, and I, you know, the average true. person. Then, in my takeaway from that story, yeah. was wow. Okay, mm. there are things to look for that the average person, soccer mom mm-hmm. or dad, yep. can look for, and you know how to question that, and maybe get a little more information to feel better but your gut said this is not good yeah and and, you know and kids will pick up on this too my my son was going when he was very young he was about five years old and we went to take him to a soccer field and there was a man standing on the edge of the track watching the kids and i'd never seen him before so if i was a parent that's one thing to pay attention to is you know sort of and i and again i'm i'm a bit you know, conservative, but I, I would go over to someone I didn't recognize and I would say, Hey, how are you? I don't think I've, I mean, it doesn't have to be confrontational. It can be, Hey, Hey, I don't think I've seen you before. Which kid is yours or which grandkid is yours? I just want to say hi, welcome, you know, and I have never seen this guy before, but I just kept walking past him. I brought my son to where he needed to go. And I told him, I said, I'll, I'll be back in a second. You know, daddy's got to go do something real quick because I was going to go and I was going to go and introduce myself to this yeah. man because I, I just didn't like the way he was just sitting there watching the kids. But my son, who was about five years old, he, I, I, I said, I've got to go do something real quick. And he looked at he turned to me and looked at me. He said, is it that man? And I said, it, it is. And he said, is he a bad guy? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to go find out. But it's it's interesting what even very young children are picking Observed. up. That yeah. this body language was different. This person is 
not doing something that the other parents do, chit-chat, clap, drink their bottled water. He was sort of intent and focusing on these kids, and my son picked up on it. That's really creepy. Yeah. But from what I heard yesterday, there are creeps all over the world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They're not not in any one place. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You also talked about, I was raised Catholic. You also talked about uh, the Catholic Church. And I heard a story from one of the other attendees about, you know, well, the church wanted everybody to give X amount of dollars to them because they had to pay for the bad acts that the priests were did the priest ever, I, I don't know if you know this, did the priest ever get help? Did they offer help to the priest counseling or something, or did they just keep rotating around the globe? <laughs> well, a little bit of both. I, I would say the the certainly the most common method would be to just remove the priest from that parish and, and move them somewhere else. Um, that was the easiest way to, you so know. So it didn't fix the problem, it just well, spread I, it out. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was a, you know, don't do this again. Uh, or, you know, did this happen? No, it didn't. You know, this was a false allegation. Well, we're just going to move you out of there just to kind of solve the problem, move someone else in. Um, but there there was a facility where if people sort of, if the priest said, I have a problem, um, that they were allowed to go. Um, I have serious reservations about the type of treatment they were receiving. Uh, one of their treatments was to get massages from other male priests, um and how convenient yeah so it it i mean there was some real issues with the i i think it wasn't a very rigorous program and wasn't what i would consider best practices but um but yeah have okay even when subway jared person was arrested he received 15 year prison sentence mm-hmm. this morning i woke up to the news and this mayor in maryland could be facing 360 years right in pre- why why that type of a difference it i don't understand that yeah so so in the federal system um there is there are federal guidelines and the judges will so w- when someone gets arrested and they get convicted the united states the united states probation and parole officers there's uh, a particular type of, of probation officer who writes what we call pre-sentence investigations. So they will start a very comprehensive, it's almost like a biography of this person. And and they do a great job, I have to say. Like some of these things, they'll go through their military history, academic history, they go through mental health history, medical. Um, they, I mean, it is soup to nuts who this person is, about their background, how much money they have in the bank, um, uh, what they did for a living. I mean, it goes through the whole thing. And then they go to, into criminal history, and there's actually a way that they add up points. So you get points if you have, you know, priors. You'll, you'll, you can get points subtracted if you cooperated with law enforcement or if you didn't hide evidence and things like that. So for the people that when the, when the police came, they said, okay, you got me. There's my hard drive. I'll give you my password. You know, those people, they actually get so, a little bit of reward. Yeah, a little bit of a break for that. Um, and of course, if you take a plea um, versus make the government go through the rigors of a trial, the cost of a trial, then yeah, right, then uh, then they will. That can be taken into consideration. It's not a guarantee, but the prosecutor may may work, you know, with people on that. So there are certain things that can sort of 
make that go up and down the the points. But then once those points have been calculated, the judge doesn't really have a lot of choice. They have to give a sentence within those guidelines. Okay. So yeah, depending on like what this guy was doing, uh, also um, sometimes people are not only receiving child abuse images, used to be called child pornography, but they're also distributing. And that is another enhancement. So if Jared, for example, was arrested for receipt or possession of child sex abuse material, and this other individual, the mayor, was, and I believe he was uh, also arrested for distributing, then that yes. that's almost, that's all, well, that is another crime. So one crime is receipt or possession, and one crime would be distributing. So that's... So that, he added that could on... Have, that could have doubled it, basically. 56 counts of child pornography. Yeah. And 40 counts of possession... And 16 mm-hmm. counts of distribution. Yeah. So he has multiple crimes, which all get added together to figure out what that sentence would be. I bet there's other stuff they haven't found yet. Yeah. And just, you know, <laughs> well, that is almost always the case. That is almost always the case. And they don't charge for every image. So whatever that was, if it was 40, it may be that he had 2,000. Um, oh. But they don't have to charge every single image. They just sometimes will just... Because at a certain point... 360 years. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. What's the point? He's probably not going to serve 360 years. Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few. Law Matters Live show opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, Arizona U.S. Attorney Gary Restagno talks about immigration. Hi, this is Sherry, asking you to become a sponsor and support the Law Matters mission. Together, we can back the blue and keep the conversation going. Visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Hi, this is Rich Tracy. The Law Matters Live weekly radio show was created to give law enforcement a voice rather than a soundbite. In doing so, we also give our listeners a voice with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies across the country, the legal community, government officials, and our military. You will hear truthful, up-to-date information valuable to you and your family while contributing to and encouraging safer communities. Hello, everyone. Sheriff Mark Daniels here. The Cochise County Sheriff's Office wants to remind you we will never call you about a warrant for your arrest. Scammers use fear tactics to get into your wallet. Some red flags to look for. Number one, when the caller is creating a sense of urgency. For example, you need to take care of this right now because deputies are on their way to arrest you. Number two, when they ask you to pay with gift cards. And number three, as I said before, the Cochise County Sheriff's Office will not call you about an outstanding warrant. Scammers are creative and sometimes spoof actual Sheriff's Office numbers and use real deputies' names. If you feel you have been a victim of a scam, contact local law enforcement immediately. Keep up with the latest scams at the Cochise County Sheriff's Office social media pages. Stay alert and stay safe, Cochise County. Okay, thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Dr. Burke. He's a clinical psychologist. We're talking about uh, child pornography in pedophilia. 
And if you have any questions, the number is 790-2040. Let's talk about, we talked about the abuse as um, a child. Mm-hmm. When we were in the training yesterday, you said that it's a myth that these people who are abusing were abused as children. Mm-hmm. Is can you expound on that? I'm yeah. I I would say no matter where I go, uh, and if I ask the audience um, to tell me what the biggest risk factor is that would cause someone, quote unquote, to become a sex offender or become pedophilic. The hands raise and people say, well, people obviously become predators because they were sexually abused themselves when they were young. And that's simply not the case. Um, And it is, you know, one of the most pervasive myths, I think, out there about sex offenders is that this somehow emerges from being abused. And and I usually make a point to speak about this um, specifically in every training that I give because I think it's a very unfair um, myth to continue to share with others because it's 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 unfair to all the survivors of sexual abuse that um, we actually call it the vampire syndrome. Uh, Dr. Anna Salter, um, who's another colleague of mine who wrote an amazing book called Predators in there, she talks about, you know, how this is very convenient for um, for for sex offenders to to claim that they were sexually abused, first of all, because they, 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 they're seen now as a victim rather than and they get as an sympathy. offender. They get sympathy of the court. Um, but she calls this the vampire syndrome, you know, based on the legends of vampires, that if you're bitten by a vampire, you're, you're more likely to become one or you do become one. And so for all these survivors of sexual abuse, you know, just because their uncle crept into their bedroom and they pretended to sleep and he touched them under the covers, like... That, that by no means should there be an implication that now they have been, quote-unquote, bitten by the vampire, and now they're more likely to become a sex offender. Sex, offend, sex offending and those predilections, we know, we know for a fact that those are not something that emerges because somebody did something to you when you were a little kid. Those are predilections that emerge at the same time that other sexual interests emerge for normal people during adolescence. And we don't exactly know precisely why that wiring gets switched, but those folks tend to know that they're pedophilic when they were 13, 14, 15 years old. And it did not come from what happened. Most sex offenders, the overwhelming majority of sex offenders, even in the most even in the most conservative study, it's 80% of sex offenders have never been sexually touched or sexually abused in any way by their own admission and by all evidence about, you know, from their background. And of the 20% who say they were, we know for a fact through polygraph and other techniques and, and going through treatment where they acknowledge that they lied to get sympathy of the court, we know that it's probably another 10% of those guys lied. So it's probably around 10%, which is about the percentage of men who are abused in normal society. Okay, are there different levels of pedophilia or, you know, that are assigned to these people? Are they all one kind of a sex offender? <laughs> I I would say there's tons of levels, um, but I mean, it depends on what you mean by level. Like, um, there are different... Category? Yeah, yeah, there are, yeah, that, there are certainly different categories or types um, you know, one of the categories we use for pedophile is uh, when we're giving 
when we're when we're issuing diagnoses would be are they preferential or exclusive so some are exclusively interested in children and the second there's a sign that a child is entering adolescence entering puberty they would immediately discontinue any conversations with that child they would stop touching the child the child becomes sort of gross and unappealing sexually it they would then gravitate toward another child who is younger sometimes that's the child's younger sister or younger brother and interestingly that also that's a lot of times what prompts outcries from kids is at that moment when the abuser stops harming them and they see that he is becoming interested in their younger sibling they don't want that to happen to their sibling like they were they were willing to endure it because he wasn't doing things to them but once they see he's starting to gravitate they make the outcry to protect their sibling so that would be a, an exclusive type of of pedophile and then uh but then there are plenty others many others uh that are capable of having adult relationships as well so they will um you know stereotypically they'll find a single mom with the children and they'll try to you know worm their way into her life and maybe she needs money and they'll try to you know financially provide and this is all for access and opportunity to get to the kids that's the real motive but they will have um you know adult relationships as well they're capable of crossing over um and then there's other motivational pathways where we'll say it's kind of like maybe one way to think about it is um, you know, putting the chocolate with the peanut butter here, you know, you, you, you mix things, two things together and you get this new type of, of criminal. So if you have a sadist and you have a pedophile, now you have someone who not only is sexually interested in children, but is interested in hurting children. If you mix a voyeur, um, or what some people call peeping toms with a pedophile, now you have someone who's putting hidden cameras in the little you know, boys and girls room at the school to watch them, you know, use the bathroom. Um, if you mix, you know, depending on what two things you're mixing together, then you get this new recipe for like a new type of criminal. I've never put it that way before, but that's, that's that kind of seems to make sense to me. And now, as I it say makes that, sense like to it's, me a, too. it's a recipe. Yeah. It's a recipe. Yeah. So you've got somebody who has these different categories all in one person. That's mm-hmm. a really screwed up person. Is there a place where these people can be locked up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there is actually. Um, not in every state. Um, and I, and to be honest, I don't know about Arizona. Um, about half the states have civil commitment programs. And the United States government has a civil commitment start- program that we started in 2006. I actually worked in that program. And I conducted the um, uh, first civil commitment evaluation in the federal government. Uh, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And he lost, and and he was uh, civilly detained and then civilly committed. Um, but the, um, there, the civil commitment program for the federal government is at the Federal Correctional Institution in Butner, North Carolina. Um, but there's a very small group of people that actually meet the criteria. It's a very high threshold for people who are considered too dangerous to be released. But then every or half the states, I think, plus or minus, maybe 28, I don't know what the number is exactly right now, um, states have state civil commitment programs. So in Wisconsin, it's Sand Ridge, and you know every every state might, or those states that have that that um, you know that legislation in place, they will have. And it it reminds a lot of people of like a very secure hospital or um, or a prison. I mean, it, it is a secure facility, um, and but that is for people who are what we called in the federal government sexually dangerous persons. 
um, now, or can sexual a, predators. Can that person uh, refuse treatment? So they can, yeah, absolutely, they can refuse treatment, and um, and that's fine. But in order to get out, <laughs> you have to have someone with letters after their name, um, you know, like me, or someone else that's, uh, you know, a psychiatrist would uh, have to sign something saying that they no longer pose a risk to the community. Uh, if you refuse treatment and you're entrenched in your own deviance and you have no desire to change, um, then you're going to be a pervert all your life. You're going to be. You're probably going to be there the rest of your life. Wow. Yeah, but there. But that's not like that's not something that's done because we're 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 you know we're mean. It's not done for punishment. No, it's done to keep the rest of the people safe. Yeah. So a lot of people think that it's like prison, but they they the way civil commitment works is you finish your prison time first. At the end of your prison time, that's when you're evaluated to see if you can be released. Once you're, a, and a judge has to decide this. It's not someone like me thinks, oh, I think he's dangerous. It has to go into a courtroom. They have due they're process. They're not going to ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they're not going to ask I, already, I can tell you my opinion. No, it's going to be done in a court of law, and and, and they, they have an attorney and whatnot. But if they're deemed to be too dangerous to be released, then at that point, they're not in that facility to be punished any longer. They're in that facility to get better. And, and the model there is a rehabilitation model, not a punishment model. Um, so, But if they don't want to participate in that, then they will stay there. So when you say get better, though, you're, tra- you're training them to how to control the urge to do something because there is no cure for it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, should, I, mean, I should be careful saying get better. Um, I mean get better in the sense that they are now motivated to cease their deviance. There are many sex offenders. We, we didn't really, I should probably mention this. There, there are sex offenders who are ashamed about what they've done. They feel guilty. They feel like they're a monster and, and, and they don't like being a pedophile. Um, you know, one guy told me in prison, he said, all that's ever done for me is had me hurt people and end up in jail. If you can do anything, if you can give me a medicine, if you can give me, you know, go in and do some surgery in my brain, he said, uh, you can give me, you can chemically castrate me. He said, do anything that you want because all this is done in my life is caused me to hurt people. Now, that type of offender is motivated for change. Uh, there's an old joke in psychology of how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> and 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 in, in the world of sex offending, there's a lot of light bulbs that don't want to change. But when we get one that does, the model that we use, as you said, is not to cure them. It's to help them manage this so that they don't take those fantasies and turn them into an offense. So... If somebody goes through this training while they're in prison and they think that, okay, this person wanted to change, do they relapse? So, so unfortunately, yeah, the, the research on how effective we are, even at our best, and I mean we as in treatment, you know, I treated sex offenders for eight years, um, and the research shows that we're not that great at it. There are some things we're really good at. We're really good with spider phobias. Um, you know, we're okay with marital counseling and relationship things. When it comes to sexual offenses, we're not that great. Maybe 10% uh, reduction in recidivism uh, if they've gone through treatment. But you have to remember, too, that we're there are some things that we can help people become more confident speaking in front of audiences or we can help people with anxiety or things like that, you know, worry some thoughts. Sex 
sexual predilection, sexual dis, the, these the, these things we're speaking about are biological drives. Sex is a drive; it's an appetite, like other basic biological appetites and drives. So we're not just sort of fighting this whim. Like, well, let's find a, another way for you to get a rush besides gambling, or let's, you know, let's replace this maladaptive coping strategy with one that's a little healthier. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is fighting a current, fighting the rapids, and you try to put a, a dam up in some way. You try to put a, you know, try to put the board up to stop the rapids, and they're just going to go around you. They're going to go above and below and around, and and that's that's what we're fighting when we talk about pedophilia is this is a drive i'm never going to look at anybody the same way again when <laughs> everybody's guilty <laughs> when when a parent and there's a lot of young parents out there right they've got their little ones preschool you know their soccer like you were saying what does a parent look for what what red flags should be you know in your head when you're observing people doing things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's some of the things we spoke about earlier. I mean, it, it's, it's nothing. Um, it, it's trusting your gut and not assuming that just because someone is in a certain position of trust, that they are above reproach. And that, you're talking you know, priests, teachers, like, priests, coaches, principals, Boy Scout leaders, principals, anyone, politicians, that, yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyone that has access to children, um, you know, anyone that has access to children that really, um, that doesn't have a child in that organization, first of all, I would be watching for that. Uh, for example, I sometimes say if there's a single male, and this is unfair, by the way, I'm going to acknowledge to all your listeners that what I'm about to say is is not fair. I'm, I'm going to say it anyway, <laughs> because I err on the side of taking care of children. Um, so, but I would say is if you have a single male in your church or temple nursery, you want to ask why. I would rather have an old grandma in a rocking chair with the babies than I would a, a young male. True that. Okay. Uh, Rick is on the phone. Rick, what's your question? Hi. Uh, my question is, is a healthy uh, healthy way to uh, culturally sort um, I guess, inoculate small children like kindergartners would be uh, to in- encourage a lot more drag queen story hours or maybe drag queen strip shows. We really need to get that into the schools, I think, and the public libraries. I think that's a real positive idea. Do you uh, concur with that, or? <laughs> yeah, it's all yours. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm not really sure what you're what you're asking about that. I think the best way to educate very young children, like kindergartners or whatnot, is. Um, traditionally we do like good touch, bad touch kind of things and that there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we need to go beyond that, especially because now so many kids are being exploited online that we need to have more online safety um, being presented to these children and not simply a good touch, bad touch because they can be asked very easily to send a picture of themselves and then then they get what we call sextorted. There's some sextortion where the, the, the perpetrator will say, well, now send me one where you're, you know, it, doing it something more. Yeah, it just advances, advances, advances. The other thing I would tell parents about very young children is um, teach your children. If somebody does, let's take the very worst scenario where someone's trying to abduct your child, they're pulling your child away from some place. 
um, children will instinctively say no no i don't want to go with you i don't want to you know i don't want to go well if they're in a walmart and someone's if you saw someone pulling a child out of walmart and the child's saying no no i don't want to i don't want to go the assumption is usually temper tantrum temper tantrum because they don't want to go home because they wanted to go get the toy or they wanted the candy and that was placed strategically right there by the register so instead what i would recommend that parents teach their kids is you're not my dad that will get people's attention because that's an unusual thing for a child to yell in that scenario and people will all of a sudden are much more likely to intervene than a child just saying no or crying so say that you're not my dad you're not my dad Um, or something like that that is much more likely to get someone's attention so there are ways to teach kids age-appropriate um, you know, uh, education about what to do in these scenarios, but especially online, parents really need to step it up. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has uh, age-appropriate materials, and a parent, parent can go there in, in different languages, and they can go and they can find age-appropriate um, videos, suggestions for parents on how to talk to kids, um, guidelines, research there's all sorts of resources available to parents that have all been vetted by professionals and they can go to the national center for missing exploited children's uh, website and it's very easy to um to get those things and again they're they're made for children at all ages so they're totally age appropriate so you're not scaring the hell out of them exactly. you're teaching them how to prepare and that's what to right. watch for and protect yourself that's exactly right it's just putting in protective mechanisms that they can do at their age level and like i said telling them that it's okay to talk to mom and dad and say something happened that was odd and mom and dad aren't going to get mad especially if somebody even a teacher or coach or anybody says this is a secret between you and a exactly you need to talk about that. That's right. Anytime someone says, don't tell your mom this is a secret, remember that's not a surprise. A surprise is different. If your teacher says, we're going to surprise Jimmy tomorrow because it's his birthday, we're going to bring in cupcakes or something. Okay, that's a surprise. When, a, when, a, when an adult that's not your mom or dad says, I need, I need you to keep this a secret, I want you to tell me. Somebody asked me to keep a secret today. Yeah. And what was that secret? <laughs> it's like, it's okay to be a snitch with mom and dad because we're here to protect your well-being. Okay. If through all the studying that they've done, and, and this is going back decades and decades, is there any part of the brain that causes stuff like this to happen that maybe can be shut down, like a lobotomy or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, believe me, I... I tell people, you know, if there was if there was a way to shut this down, we would do it. Um, I mean, all of us that work in the field of child exploitation, you know, we're we're bright folks. We will we will find another way to make a living. Um, I'd be quite happy to, you know, if I could end sexual abuse tomorrow and put myself out of business, I would I would I would do it in a heartbeat. Uh, and so would all my colleagues. Um, this is. If there was a way to reduce sexual offending, to reduce pedophilia, to reduce, you know, any of these harmful paraphilias, sadism, psychopathy, uh, we would we would cure it, of course. Um, but we don't we, we haven't found that yet. And there's um, no medicine to make slow somebody down, put them to sleep. <laughs> so for there is a subset of sex offenders. I usually, you know, um, People don't ask about them too much, but there is a subset of sex offenders called the hypersexuals. Um, these are men whose testosterone can be 10, 15 times more than an average male. Like they're, 
their serum testosterone is extremely high. Testosterone is linked to both aggression and sexual drive. So these men are acting out sexually at very, very, very high levels. And for them, there, there is a medication, we call them anti-androgens, sometimes it's known as chemical castration, and that can reduce that those super high levels of testosterone so it can it can help but that is not something that we would just you know give the folks that we were no 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 it it, and it can cause very serious medical side effects um to to mess with people's hormones like that um you can cause cancers and uh, bone diseases and and there's lots of issues so those are only done rarely and and with a physician who's been specially trained in administering the anti-androgens okay when children are in school and i know there's all over the place there people are talking about what should our kids be taught in school regarding this kind of stuff this story as far as you know stranger danger and you know somebody touches you tell me type Mm -hmm. thing that part's not changed that was around when i was little so that part's not changed correct what has changed yeah what's changed i think is is um, is the internet. Uh, I mean, you know, without a doubt, inarguably, that's been one of the most revolutionary, um, you know, advances that has changed our culture in, in, in good ways and in bad ways. Um, so the, you know, but the bad ways are that it allows people to get access to our children that before would not be able to get access to our children. I mean, someone could be interacting with one of my kids right now from Australia. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's immediate contact and, and devices now are ubiquitous. It used to, you know, I mean, there's kids in elementary school walking around with with, with smartphones. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and a lot of parents aren't, because we are in a different generation, how many parents really know what all the apps on your child's phone right now are? If, if, if you're a parent listening and you have a teenager and you were to look at his or her phone right now, how many of those apps would you recognize? Uh, I bet half. And those are probably the ones that came on the phone. Anything that your child added, you probably don't know what it does. You don't know, even if you don't know what it does, you may not know uh, that predators or potential predators can contact your child through that app. Like, Can you games. name some of these apps? Well, there's like pretty much any gaming platform. Um, where you're interacting, like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to front down any particular games, but but any of these games where you can interact with other players, mm-hmm. that is a way that predators now gain access to your child. So it doesn't just have to be on a on like Facebook or or Meta or whatever or um, one of these social media apps. Now it can be through a gaming app or. Um, you know, they're, they're sneaky. They can get to them in any way where you can communicate with another person. I think the other thing parents need to tell their, their children, just because you're talking to another gamer and you've been talking to that person maybe for a month or two or whatever, that doesn't mean you know who that is. That's right. You, that's exactly it is right. still a stranger. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's that's what we encounter a lot is the stranger danger has changed because, especially with teenagers, they will meet someone online. He will, let's just take stereotypically, it's a male adult talking to a 15-year-old girl. She's mad at her parents. They target that. They're looking for, for t- teens that are having trouble, that are not getting along with their parents, that are you know running away from school. And these kids are putting on social media, oh, I got in a fight with my mom again. She's so mean. She took away my iPhone. This is so unfair. I wish I had better parents or I wish I lived in... Okay, 
that is like a magnet. That is like a weak gazelle to a lion. And they're going to gravitate toward that person. They're going to say, oh, hey, you know, I hope you're doing okay. I saw your post. They're going to worm their way into her life. They're going to tell her she's beautiful as soon as she sends a picture. And then that'll encourage her to send another picture. Well, she'll be told she's beautiful. They're going to say, your mom was wrong. I would treat you like an adult. You deserve to be treated like this. They're gonna, they're gonna, in essence, they're going to tr- tell her everything that she wants to hear. Eventually, they're going to try to say, you and I should meet. You and I should go somewhere. My point is this. By the time all that happens, we have parents, and she goes to the mall to meet the guy, and fortunately, law enforcement might have intercepted that, and they go in and they rescue the child. But the parents are always wagging their fingers at the child saying, I thought I told you you should never talk to strangers. That child says he's not a stranger. He's my best friend. He knows more about what's in my diary than you know. He's my confidant. He's the one I tell. Like, and that's Everything the truth. Too. And that is the truth. Yeah. That is their best friend and their confidant. And the one, sometimes they even think they're in love with them, quote unquote. So stranger danger absolutely doesn't work when you're meeting your best friend. Does have the situation ever arose where somebody is a pedophile, but it turns into a sex trafficking situation? Oh, clearly, yeah. So, so sex trafficking can occur in situations where people are actually start off with labor trafficking, but a lot of labor trafficking situations, they're also being sexually exploited. So it's it, it it's almost Across the board. yeah, it's um well, it's almost like if you if you're investigating labor trafficking, you you need to also be looking at sex trafficking. I mean, that's a distinct possibility, uh, if, especially if there's female um, individuals being trafficked for labor. But um, there's lots of there's lots of crossover. Some people who traffic kids are pedophilic, and they're also abusing those kids. Others are profiteers. Um, they are just interested in them as a commodity. Um, as one offender told me, you can only sell drugs once, but I could yeah. sell her 12 times in a night. In a night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I sell her 12 times in a night and put her in an ice bath, you know, so she can work again the next night. And that's how they see it. It's, it's cattle. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're just a moneymaker. Um, but others are interested in kids. So if somebody... And I don't have the local information other than nine one one. If somebody feels that they need to report something, yep. Who do they call? Do they call nine one one? Yeah, so they could absolutely call nine one one. They could call their local police department, um, or they could. There's also a national um, uh, tip line that's run through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and um, they can go to the website, make a you know, find out how to make a report that way, or they can call one eight hundred the lost. And um, if they call one eight hundred the lost, then that also connects them to Nick Mick. There, there's 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 several national hotlines that are out there, um, but the easiest way would simply to be call nine one one, and 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 that will get you direct access to your local resources. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I again want to thank the um, Arizona. Sheriff's Association for helping us sponsor this event. It was huge education. Like I said, I, I'll never look at people the same way again. Yeah, They're all you. guilty. They're all guilty. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And I want to say thank you to Sheriff Daniels, too, for helping me get this organized. Absolutely. So, everybody shop local, stay safe. The book fairs this weekend. It's going to be beautiful in the 70s. Maybe I'll see you there. We'll talk soon. Bye.